Let us ask the Lord by the power of His Holy Spirit to grant us spiritual understanding, illumination, and a desire rightly to receive His Word and respond in faith. Let us pray. Our glorious Father, in Your light do we see light. Your light dispels our darkness. We pray that by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts, that you would grant us that grace of faith by which we might see the wonders of your love for us in your Son, Jesus Christ. So be with us, we pray, in the hearing and the preaching of your Word. We ask it for your glory. Amen. The reading of Scripture this morning comes from the Apostle Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 11. I will begin the reading at verse 23. This passage is commonly referred to as the the words of the institution of the Lord's Supper. The Apostle Paul, in writing to the church in Corinth, is actually addressing some errors and correcting some errors, addressing some problems in that first century context. But we have in this passage the setting forth of that teaching concerning uh, the Lord's Supper. Uh, of the uh, New Testament apostolic church. Let us hear the word of God, for it is written. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died." But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. And now to him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood, to Jesus Christ be all praise, honor, glory, and dominion forever and ever Amen. It has been three months since we have observed the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. 
And now that we're gathering again at the Lord's table today, I thought that it might be helpful to review some basic biblical teaching about the sacrament as we prepare to receive it. We find this basic instruction in this passage in 1 Corinthians, which says, The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, pause. The Apostle Paul makes a point to say when the Lord Jesus instituted the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. It was on the night when he was betrayed. The night when Jesus and his disciples were celebrating the annual Jewish feast of the Passover. Now, at that point, for some 13 to 1400 years, the Jews had observed the Passover feast as an annual memorial of that momentous night when the Lord passed through Egypt, passed over the houses marked with the blood of the Lamb, but slew all the firstborn of Egypt. And then, on the following day, the Israelites made their exodus out of Egypt. That had been observed for some 13 to 1400 years, but on this particular Passover night, the night on which he was betrayed, the night before his crucifixion, the Lord Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of. These words are very familiar to us, perhaps so familiar that we don't feel the shocking force of them. But think about it. In essence, on that night, Jesus was telling his disciples that the the ultimate Passover, And the true exodus were about to take place through what he was about to do. In other words, Jesus was the true Passover lamb by whose blood salvation would truly come. Redemption, that means to be bought out of slavery. Redemption from the slavery to sin. Deliverance from the dominion of that real evil Pharaoh, Satan. And a life of true liberty in the everlasting promised land of the kingdom of God. Now this is the true Passover. This is the ultimate exodus. Which was about to take place through what Jesus was about to do. That's a, that's a massive shift. You see the shift from the old covenant to the new covenant. Therefore, on the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus transformed 
the old covenant Passover feast into the new covenant Passover feast, which we today call the Lord's Supper or Holy Communion, which we observe not in remembrance of the Passover and Exodus from Egypt, but which we observe in remembrance of Him. That is, in remembrance of His death on the cross as our Passover lamb and of His resurrection, which is our exodus from death and hell. The Lord's Supper, Holy Communion, is the new covenant Passover feast for the new covenant Israel, the church of Jesus Christ. That means, then, that the Lord's Supper is a covenant meal to be shared by the church in gathered corporate worship. It is not an individualistic act of private devotion. You have to make the shift with me. It is a covenant meal for the corporate people of God. It is the new covenant Passover feast for the new covenant Israel, the church of Jesus Christ. It is not an individualistic act of private devotion. And that's the reason, by the way, that's the reason that we didn't engage in self-serve communion in the privacy of our homes or by drive-by communion in our cars during the COVID shutdown. No, I won't take more time to say more about that, but the point is simply this, that the Lord's Supper is a covenant meal for the corporate people of God. It is offered to us as individual believers, yes, but not individualistically or privatistically, if that's a word, you get my meaning. Now, even in the way in which we're spread out here today is not ideal. And for those of you down in the reception hall, it's, it's, it's not ideal. But, nevertheless, here we are together, and the elders, the spiritual overseers of the congregation, will be distributing the elements down in the reception hall as an extension of what takes place in this sanctuary. So even in these social distancing circumstances, we are gathered together as the body of Christ in corporate worship, including you brothers and sisters down in the fellowship hall, and we will receive the sacrament in that context. And that's important in terms of the biblical teaching. Now that leads us into verse 27, which is the section having to do with with what is in our tradition called the fencing of the table, that is the warning not to partake in an unworthy manner. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. 
Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now, please note, well, first of all, by the way, just, just uh, th- this is the reason that we, we don't uh, practice an open communion in the sense that anybody can simply come in and receive communion with us. Um, because that's not what the Scripture teaches. The sacrament is for those who have been baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and who have made profession of faith in Christ and who are seeking to live faithful lives of grateful obedience. But note that the Scripture does not say that we need to be worthy to receive the sacrament. It doesn't say that. It does not say that we need to be worthy to receive the sacrament. None of us is worthy. And none of us can ever be worthy to receive the grace and mercy of God through Jesus Christ. The sacrament, which is the visible offering to us of Jesus Christ in all of his grace and mercy and saving power is for the unworthy. The unworthy who know and confess that they are unworthy of God's love. The sacrament is for sinners who know that they need a Savior. And who therefore trust in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. And who look to Him not only for forgiveness of their sins, but also for the power from sin so that they might live a more holy life to the glory of God. So the warning is against partaking in an unworthy manner. An unworthy manner would be a careless attitude without true faith in Christ. As though the observance of the sacrament were an empty ritual, meaningless tradition, without any real regard for what the sacrament represents, Christ crucified. And that would be to make a mockery of Jesus Christ and to incur the guilt of crucifying Christ all over again. That's the point. When the apostle writes, Anyone who eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body of the, and blood of the Lord. If we think nothing of Christ when we receive the sacrament, it is as though we are crucifying Him. An unworthy manner would also be partaking of the sacrament without any intention of repenting of your sins and forsaking them. As though you could ask for forgiveness, seek forgiveness from the Lord while eating of the sign and seal of his body and blood, but at the same time actually intending to persist in particular sin. Receive the sacrament and keep on living as though your sin didn't matter. 
Now that would be to call down the Lord's judgment upon you, not His mercy. And so the Scripture exhorts us, let a person examine himself. How do we do that? Well, for example, the Ten Commandments would be a good place to begin examining ourselves not only as to external obedience, but also internal, spiritual, heart obedience. Examine yourself. Is there a particular sin in your life that you love? That you are unwilling to forsake? which you choose to indulge? Now is the time to confess it, forsake it, kill it by the grace and power of Jesus Christ who is visibly offered to you in the sacrament of His body and blood. Resolve, repent and resolve today to live in newness of life And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Verse 29 says that anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now that can apply in two ways. Not discerning the body can mean not understanding or not believing that the bread represents in a very real way the body of Jesus Christ crucified for us and so treating it lightly. But it can also mean not discerning the body in the sense of not discerning that the church is the body of Christ and that we are called to live with one another in peace and reconciliation and unity in Christ. You know, in the Lord's Supper, we we receive, we eat the body of Christ. We, we, We take Him into us so that we together may represent him as the body of Christ in the world. Put those two metaphors together. We receive the body of Christ so that we might live as the body of Christ in the world and therefore to eat the bread individualistically, privatistically, without regard for our relationships with fellow believers, is to eat and drink judgment on ourselves. It is to deny the gospel. The Lord's Supper is not a little booster shot, vaccination, inoculation, you know. No, 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 no. no. It's a covenant meal for the covenant people of God so that we might live as His new covenant Israel upon the earth to His glory. So, if we partake while we are willfully estranged from a fellow Christian, willfully unforgiving toward a fellow believer, willfully bearing resentment, bitterness, enmity against a fellow believer is to eat and drink judgment on ourselves. How can we claim 
to receive reconciliation with God through the blood of the cross while we harbor and hold enmity against our fellow Christian. And let me just pause for a moment to remind us that this is not the table of Covenant Presbyterian Church. This is the table of the Lord Jesus Christ who by His blood purchased for Himself people of every tribe, tongue, and nation. And what we do here in this locale is representative of our unity with all His people all over the world. And in terms of people who look like us, In the church of Jesus Christ, we are by far a small minority. Most of his people, bought with his blood, don't look anything like us at all. As we come to the table of the Lord today, let us come seeking to be ambassadors of reconciliation as Jesus Christ himself is our reconciler. But to hold any kind of enmity against our fellow believers, whoever they may be, is to eat and drink judgment upon ourselves. And so, when there is a blatant, deliberate, persistent, willful, unrepentant sin in a church member's life, or when then there is unreconciled estrangement due to an unwillingness to forgive, an unwillingness to be reconciled, then it is an act of mercy. It is an act of mercy. For the elders to exercise discipline and to suspend that unrepentant member from the Lord's table so that he or she will not eat or drink judgment upon himself or herself. And such discipline in love and mercy is intended to bring that person to true repentance and true restoration into true communion with the Lord and his people. But then the question arises, what happens when we, with true faith in Christ, partake of the sacrament? What did Jesus mean when he said, this is my body, which is for you? This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Well, That little word, is, has given rise to much debate. Uh, By the way, debate that hadn't been resolved in the universal church of Christ. But on the night of the Last Supper, when Jesus took the bread and said, this is my body, it would have been perfectly clear to his disciples that that bread was not literally his body. And that that wine in the cup was not literally his blood. On another occasion, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. But Jesus was not a shepherd. 
and I am not a sheep. Except for the fact that Jesus is my shepherd, and I am his sheep. You see? There is real truth, real truth, which transcends literalistic truth. So today when you hear it said, the body of Christ given for you, and the blood of Christ shed for you, it doesn't mean that the bread and wine have literalistically become the physical body and blood of Christ. Nothing changes in the physical constitution of the elements. The bread remains bread. The wine remains wine. But they have been set apart from a common to a holy use. They have been ordained by the Lord Jesus to be the visible representation of Himself. In a very real way. The invisible, eternal Word of God became flesh. Jesus said of Himself, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Now that's a reference to His incarnation, His enfleshment, His embodiment. And so the bread represents to us, shows us, presents to us the reality of the eternal Word in human flesh. Jesus Christ crucified for our salvation. Therefore, when we eat the bread with true faith in Christ by the grace of the Holy Spirit, we are eating His flesh, not in the literal, physical sense, certainly not in any kind of pagan, cannibalistic sense, which is totally foreign to the Bible, but in the spiritual sense that we are eating, we are receiving into our lives the fullness of the reality of His perfect, sinless, incarnate life given for us as the spiritual food for our souls. And for those who with true faith in Christ by the working of the Holy Spirit, the eating of that bread feeds us with all the spiritual benefits, the spiritual nutrients of Christ's life and death and resurrection as really and as truly as we receive physical nutrition from the physical bread we eat. He is the bread of life. Likewise, Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. His blood, not the blood of the lamb. He is the, blo- he is the lamb. But it was indeed His real blood that was shed for the ratification of the new covenant. It was indeed His real blood that was shed for the forgiveness of sins. It was indeed His real blood poured out unto death, which gives life to everyone who believes in Him. And the wine was ordained by Christ as a visible representation of His blood. And so we can say, the blood of Christ shed for you, without meaning literal physical blood. But you can take that cup, and you can look at that red wine, and there you see it. You see the picture. 
you see the God-ordained sign, Christ's blood shed for me. And when you drink it with true faith in Christ, looking to Christ for your salvation by the grace of the Holy Spirit, the real benefits of Christ's blood shed for you are communicated to your soul. John Calvin said in in a beautiful manner of speech that the Lord's Supper is a mirror in which we contemplate Jesus Christ crucified and risen. It is as though we may say in faith, there He is in our midst. And when with true faith in Christ we receive the sacrament by the working of the Holy Spirit, we spiritually feed on Christ in our hearts by faith. But how does that happen? Well, the only answer that can be given is this, by the supernatural working of the Holy Spirit in the life of believers. Otherwise, the how is beyond us. But let me give you two illustrations as we draw to a close. Both of these illustrations come from marriage, but please don't let that confuse you because marriage is not a sacrament because the Lord Jesus never ordained marriage as a sacrament of the new covenant. That's another subject, but I didn't want to be misunderstood. So here are the illustrations from marriage. And even those of you who are not married, I think, will be able to connect with them. When you go into a jewelry store, maybe for some other reason, and you're looking around, and there you see the wedding rings under the glass. What do you see? Mm. Wedding rings. But when you see the wedding ring on your spouse's hand, what do you see? You see your life bound to her, to him. You see your life in her, in him. Your life in Him, His life in you. You see a bond of faith and love and trust and sacrifice and service. You see yourself and your spouse bound together as one. Now, how does that happen? What happened in between the time you bought the ring and placed it on your beloved's hand? Did the ring change? Did it become something that it wasn't? No, not physically. But it is certainly no longer just another ring. 
The bread and wine remain bread and wine, but they have been ordained by Christ for a holy spiritual purpose, and in them we see Jesus Christ crucified and risen, giving himself for us and to us in a way that we may tangibly lay hold of him and receive him as the food of our souls. Here's the other illustration from marriage. And I hope that you will receive it in the reverential manner in which I intend it, for it does come from the Holy Scripture. The conjugal act of marital love. What happens? Can you explain it? Yeah. No. Not really. Not fully. Not in the way that matters most. The two shall become one flesh. And the Apostle Paul, in the letter to the Ephesians, referred to this as a great mystery. A great mystery which refers to the mystical union of Christ and His bride, the church. The spiritual union which is visibly and tangibly portrayed for us in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. In which we see Christ freely offering Himself to us in the fullness of His life and death and resurrection and in which we, by faith, embrace and receive Him as the lover of our souls. There is much, much more, but time does not allow. When you take the bread and take the wine, take hold of Jesus Christ himself and ask him to feed you, nourish you, refresh you with his everlasting life. To God be the glory. Amen. Our Father, we bow before the mystery of your love, the mystery of our salvation in Christ. We ask you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, to confirm the word of the gospel in our hearts that we might truly know that by faith in him we are united to him in all the treasures of his redeeming love. Reconciled to you, and filled with the Holy Spirit so that we might live in fellowship with you now and forever in communion.
with the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. To your name be all praise. Amen.